Hi everyone, I'm Elizabeth Stein, founder and CEO of Purely Elizabeth, and this is Live Purely with Elizabeth, featuring candid conversations about how to thrive on your wellness journey. This week's guest is none other than GT Dave, founder and CEO of GT's Living Foods, the number one best-selling kombucha brand and the brand that literally pioneered the kombucha category back in 1995. GT Dave has dedicated his life, his brand, and even his name on the label to the philosophy that living foods should be around us and in us to live happier, healthier lives. Today, GT continues to be a steward of nature, a pioneer of innovation, and as he says, he wants to be known as someone who takes chances on creating things that people can benefit from both inside and out. This episode is one of my absolute favorites. It was so much fun to dig into GT's journey, starting with his early beginnings when he was just 15 launching the company. We chat about how his mother's cancer diagnosis was a catalyst to start selling kombucha and how kombucha gave him purpose during such a difficult time in his life. GT shares his philosophy on living life to the fullest each and every day, his non-negotiables, which include eight hours of sleep, how he sees competition in the marketplace, and the importance of continuing to make each and every bottle with 100% pure love, just like he did 25 years ago. P.S. He's still using the same scopey that his parents gave him back in 95. I could have gone on hours talking to GT and picking his brain about his life and experience running the business, but in the meantime, keep listening to hear all about our conversation. GT, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to chat with you today. Well, thank you for having me on, Elizabeth. It's always so great to see you. So you are the OG in the natural food space. You started the kombucha category, which is remarkable. I believe today it's about a $2 billion category. And more than all of that, you have remained founder, sole owner, CEO after all these years. You've created such a beautiful company. I I just have so much admiration for you. And I feel like I could talk to you for hours, but we don't have all that time. So let's go ahead and get started. And really, you know, how we start this podcast our North Star at Purely Elizabeth is helping you thrive on your wellness journey. And so we always start with your own personal wellness journey that got you to where you are today and what led you to start DT. Well, first of all, thank you for the intro. I really appreciate the compliment, especially coming from somebody like you that I also admire and respect. So I think to put it simply, my journey on the health and wellness path had many chapters in it, if you will. I think certainly being born to very spiritual and health-minded parents was certainly the kickoff. I mean, my mother was plant-based when she was pregnant with me. Myself and my brothers were were raised plant-based for the first decade of our life. And then we were given the choices, but then we ultimately came back to being plant-based. And so witnessing, or at least understanding the importance of food and how it can be your medicine as well as your poison certainly was a significant foundation for the early years of my life. But you know, what really, in in my mind, kind of crystallized that point of view is when my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer. And the reason why I say that is that was in the early 90s. And my mother was the picture of perfect health. She was plant-based, as I said. She was athletic. 
she was spiritual. She was everything you would think someone is when they're on that, you know, proverbial health and wellness path. But she wasn't doing it 100% because she wasn't taking care of herself emotionally, which we know is kind of another pillar to health. Yeah. But having my mother diagnosed with breast cancer when I was just a teenager, barely a teenager, I was about 13 years old. And my mother was not very old. She was, I think, in her early 50s. It, it really rocked my world and understanding our mortality and how, especially at the young age that I was at at 13, you think life is endless. Like you have limitless opportunities and time is on your side. But when you see somebody you love who perhaps always also felt that, but then their clock was almost stopped or at least threatened, it really opens up your eyes. So that's a long-winded way of saying, you know, I, I always knew that being healthy was important, but I didn't really understand it until you see someone you love's life at risk. Now, the one thing that I'll add real quickly is, as many know, my mother survived that battle with breast cancer, and that became my catalyst for starting kombucha. But then I was reminded one other time with actually the diagnosis and death of my brother that really made me understand, and in many ways, it's my North Star of the importance of living your life to the fullest each and every day and making sure that you live as cheesy and cliche as it sounds, but live, live today like it's your last. Well, I, I live that same mentality and I think having, you know, at least the silver lining to be able to give you that foundation at such a young age has really set you up for who you are today. It has. And which is why, as you pointed out, I mean, I, I didn't start my business to start a business and I certainly am not running it today to sell it. It really is my mission. It's my purpose. It's my, my wife and kids. So yeah. it's my commitment. It's my lifelong commitment. And it's because I think of the foundation that I was given or blessed with at an early age that really made it crystal clear to me. So your mom was diagnosed and how does kombucha come into the world and you not necessarily starting business, but saying, Hey, there's something to this magical drink that I'm going to do something with. Yeah. It was really interesting. My parents exposed me to so many different things, unusual foods, if you will, growing up. And so kombucha came into the household about two years before my mother was diagnosed. And it was, I remember as if it was yesterday that my father came home with a like rubbery circular disc that was almost like folded in half and it was slushing around <laughs> and, and he was like, he turned to my mother and my brothers and like, look, honey, look boys, I'm going to make kombucha. And he's like, it's called the drink of immortality. And so he explained at that, at the dinner that night, what it was, what he heard, all this stuff. And we were all like, okay, no, 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 this go sell your crazy somewhere else. <laughs> so I honestly wasn't into it. I thought it looked weird, smelled, smelled weird, tasted weird. But I did notice that my father and my mother, who were not really kind of placebo type, type of people, they really understood the fundamentals of health food. So they weren't easily tricked, which is why, by the way, I think my father's friend gave him the culture. I think it was kind of a test like, hey, I'm not sure about this, but I want to get your kind of somewhat expert opinion. So when my mother and father started making and drinking kombucha, I was really impressed over all the things that they have brought into the household, how fanatic they became about kombucha. And, and, and by the way, when you're obsessed with kombucha, especially if you're making it at home, it's not a secret because <laughs> like, there's, there's evidence everywhere that you're obsessed with. There's a smell. 
Yeah, there's a smell for <laughs> sure. I mean, that, to be honest, there was even a point where I resented kombucha because it filled, it permeated my parents' house with the smell of vinegar. And, you know, I'm like a, a, a budding teenager. And of course, the most important thing to me is my reputation and having friends over and being like the cool guy. And the smell of vinegar upon entering a home, <laughs> not necessarily considered cool. So it was, it was hurting my social life. But anyway, when you make kombucha, the more you consume, naturally, the more you need to ferment. And therefore, you need more batches or vessels, if you will. So the way I was able to witness my parents' obsession is they went from one batch to two batch to five batches to seven batches, which is an indication of their high consumption. Number one. Number two is they drank it religiously over the next couple of years. Now the punchline, now my mother's diagnosed. The initial diagnosis was very, very bleak. Like the doctors literally said, hey, we don't think you're going to live to see the next six months. But what they discovered after they ran some more tests is that my mother's condition, as they put it, was quote unquote miraculous. And the reason why they said that is, you know, initially, and, so, and, then, the, and then they confirmed that she had a very fast growing form of cancer, that they believed that she had had it for four years, two of which she was drinking kombucha. However, upon diagnosis, the cancer was actually mostly precancerous. So she had, to give you a visual, her tumor was the size of a golf ball. Right. Wow. So it's very large in her right breast. So large as she thought actually it was a muscle. But when they ran more tests, they came back and they said, despite what we expected, the tumor is mostly precancerous. It has not spread to your lymph nodes. And so we got to ask you, what have you been doing, eating, drinking, whatever? Because your situation is very, very unique. And they flat out asked her like Chinese herbs, Chinese medicines, because keep in mind, this is the 90s. There's no Internet. And my mom simply answered, well, I've been drinking this pungent tasting tea for the last two years and I feel great. And they're like, doctors well, what must I have been like, what is this tea? Yeah. You've never heard of this thing. Exactly. And that's what they exactly said. They said, well, whatever this pungent tasting tea is, we recommend you continue to drink it because your condition is miraculous. So that was really the aha moment. I wow. mean, not to get over dramatic, but I'll just lean in for a second. Like that's when the dark turned to light that's when helplessness and hopelessness became optimism and, and hope. And I was young at the time. And so that became the unlock in so many ways that I won't bore you with all the details, but that was a catalyst for me to start my journey, know that I was doing more than just starting a business. I was creating a mission. I was driven by purpose. And most importantly, that purpose was to help others. Like I believe kombucha helped my mom. So that was, that's, that was the beginning of it. That's amazing. And also amazing because you were 15, I believe, right? Yep. So, I, I mean, if I think about what I was doing at 15, I was definitely not <laughs> thinking about how I was going to turn this thing into a business. So you have this aha moment, your mom's feeling better. And then what did you do? I know I've heard the story and I read, I know Erwan was your first retailer and love mm -hmm. that store. So just kind of want to walk through a little bit of those steps that you actually said, okay, I'm going to feel the fear and do it anyway and go forward with this. Yeah. It was a really interesting kind of alignment of stars, if you will. I think stars might be the wrong term because honestly, it was a lot of kind of dark and challenging moments that instead of letting them swallow me up, I decided to use them as power to fuel me and to give me bravery and to honestly give me fearlessness because again, I don't want to get too sidetracked, but as I said, my mother's story is huge. It's probably 
60 to 70% of what drove me to do what I do today. But what also was kind of the catapult, if you will, is that I was a young boy here in Los Angeles. You know, I was, I wasn't your average kid, if there's such a thing, to be honest, you know, right. I, was, I was going to, you know, public school. I was, as a gay boy, I was closeted, but I think to most people, they could read between the lines. So long story short, I experienced a lot of bullying to the point where, you know, I was a little suicidal, to be honest. Like I, I had some really challenging moments where I was like, I don't know if I want to be on this earth. I don't know what's here for me. I'm so lost. I feel like who I am is not welcomed in this world. And it was really, really hard to be honest. And that's why I actually chose to drop out of high school. So by the way, this is all happening while my mother is kind of overcoming her breast cancer and drinking kombucha. And so I went to go start City College, but that's at the time when it was becoming so evident that this thing called kombucha was so special, but it was so weird. And I felt so weird that like this, I had this moment almost overnight, this revelation of like, well, I'm weird and kombucha is weird. Maybe we can be weird together. And maybe because in my heart of hearts, and today I know this, because kombucha is so special, it really takes somebody that understands its uniqueness and it's even its, its bizarreness to protect it. And I thought in many ways that could be me. And that's Honestly, all I wanted to do, I wanted to make great kombucha that could help people like it helped my mother. And in addition to that, give me a sense of purpose and help me create my own world. Because back then I was, I was really unhappy and, and this gave me kind of a new chapter. Oh, that's a beautiful twist to how the story went and really giving you something right in your hands when you needed it most. It's true. I mean, I'm a big believer of what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And I also believe that through the darkest of times comes the most beautiful light and the most beautiful art. Because when you have in your mind, at least nothing to lose, you just all ego, all pride, all insecurities just go away. Because yeah. again, you have nothing to lose. So you don't have to hold back. So as you were starting to brew some kombucha and bring it to Erwan, I know I've also seen a picture somewhere of your mom helping and demo at Erwan, which inside that made me so happy because my mom helped so much in the beginning demoing too. And I know personally how important it was having my parents support now still to this day, but especially at the beginning, you know, that's that confidence. So I'm sure it's kind of similar, but would love to hear how that was for you as far as what were your parents support as a dropping out of high school and then starting this business that was giving them so much life. Yeah. I mean, my, my parents, so my father is a lawyer CPA, right? So I categorize him as very realistic and very business-minded, <laughs> almost a harsh realist where his favorite answer is no. On my mom's side, my mom's like the artist, the creative, the heart. And so what happened was, is so naturally when I told them I wanted to drop out of high school, they both were, in, were a little bit taken aback naturally. But when I presented my case of, hey, I really want to do something with my life, and I feel like this is an important stepping stone for that, they both said, okay, we'll allow it on one condition, that you don't use this as an opportunity to just screw around. So I gave them that commitment. And then with my father, once I started to essentially started selling at Air One and selling at stores, he gave me a little bit of that business backbone, 
right? How to balance your books, how to issue an invoice, how to collect a check. You know, he helped me form my corporation. So I was very, very blessed for that. So he was in many ways, again, the, the realist business side of what I was doing. And then my mother, she was the kombucha queen, right? She <laughs> would go to Air One. She would go to the local co-ops here in Los Angeles, like Co-Opportunity and a couple of stores that unfortunately are no longer around. This is before even Whole Foods existed, by the way. Wow. So that's an interesting kind of context. But she would do basically what I know you have done, where you go into the store, you set up a table, and it's come one, come all. And yeah. I will share my story to anybody who wants to listen. But, but my mother, and which is what I try to emulate in my daily life now, is my mother always speaks from the heart. And so she would share her story, not as a sales pitch, but almost like you were sitting down having coffee with her. And she did that. She had the ability to do that one by one by one. And just people were in awe of her story, which obviously gave them the interest to try their first bottle of kombucha. And then from that point on, the connection was actually with them and the kombucha, that they realized that their fat first bottle really made them feel better in whatever shape or form that meant. And then that was how people got hooked. And so it was re this really, and again, it wasn't trickery. It was all kind of organic. We didn't even know we were doing it at the time. Sure. Just like lead with your heart, talk to people like humans, talk to them like they're friends, give them something that can improve their lives and the rest is golden. I love that so much. <laughs> Question when you first started out, was GT the name or was there a different was title? Yeah, it was, I mean, <laughs> there was so many different names that I went through in the early stages of my company for myself and for my products. And I'll tell you why. So again, when things started going well, I, I was worried that, that I was going to be like found out, right? Because I knew that what I was doing was very unusual. Like even being doing business and doing what I was doing at such an early age, I was still a little worried that someone's going to knock on the door and be like, I'm sorry, he needs to go back to school. Like this little <laughs> psychic, not, not legal, you know, he needs to be in the classroom. So I was just always wanting to make sure that I gave nobody any doubt of the quality and integrity of what I was doing. And I was worried that being so young, that my age was going to be something that people could dismiss and discount be like, oh, it's not real. He's just a kid. So whether it was my brand or whether it was the identities even that I took on at an early age to make people think that there was more than just one person behind the scenes. So I had many iterations from product's name. It was Kombucha to GT's Kombucha to Synergy. My company's name went from Millennium Products to GT's Living Foods. And then I myself wore like three different hats of identity. Like I was GT, I was George, I was Jorge. <laughs> you, know, you know, I created my own proverbial, it takes a village. Sure. It was my village. <laughs> well, how does it feel now having you, the name, the brand so intertwined? Because I know for me, it, it all feels one and the same, but curious yeah. to hear. It's interesting. And I honestly, I'd love to hear your take on it, but it's wild. It's a blessing. I think, and you know this, I'm sure, is that when you're a founder-driven brand, you don't have to reach too far to find out who you are or to articulate who you are because it almost, it comes from within. Yeah. That's the beauty of being again, creating a product that in many ways is, is, is coming from you, coming from your point of view, your beliefs, your passion, all of that. But at some point, the, the brand has to take on its own identity. And that doesn't mean it can't still share certain qualities of you or me or whoever the, the owner founder is, but you almost have to 
and again, this is a silly analogy I've used before, you almost have to treat it like a child that's now growing up and they're entering like their 20s and you know, they want to identify where they're going to live and who they're going to date and what they want to do for a living. And you know, some of that might be, oh, something exactly that you would see, but some of it might be like, all right, well, I didn't see that coming, but it seems like a natural fit. And just like a parent who wants the best for their child, sometimes you're presented with these surprises and you have to just say, okay, I'm going to take a leap of faith. So that's a long-winded way of saying that I definitely see my brands as in my offspring, but in many ways I see them as a separate living thing that at some point needs to grow up, needs to create its own identity and stand for what it's supposed to stand for. And, if, and again, like every parent, you just hope and pray that you raised your child the right way so you can be proud of what they turn into. And, and so that's how I see my company and the products we make. Well, you should be incredibly proud of where you are now, of course. So as you think about this 25-year journey, what can you nail down the moment when you really felt that shift and you were like, okay, this is beyond just Erwan and the couple of local stores? You know, when did Whole Foods come into the story and really what was that pivotal change where you said, you know, this is going to be a sustainable business? Well, I think the simplest answer is probably after the first 10 years, because I started my company in 1995 and it was in 2005 when we expanded our distribution nationwide. And so that was a big moment because the internet was nowhere where it is now. And so this just the idea of having your products sold on the opposite side of the country in like, again, New York, which I had never been to, by the way, that just felt like I had conquered the world or this, a dream had come true. But I must say that getting there was a lot of like three steps forward, sometimes one or two steps back. And so what happened is the reason why I say that is even when I thought I had made it in 2005, so to speak, is I still felt that like it was still so delicate that I could lose it overnight. And so it created this humility and this humbleness that I still maintain today because I still believe that easy come, easy go. But again, to answer your question pointedly, I, I, it, it was beyond my wildest dreams. I mean, to be this, this little kid that uh, was down and out 10 years ago, to be making something that not only people in LA or California, but the rest of the world is interested in and they were resonating with just made my heart sing. And, and it, it just made me feel again, like I had purpose. Well, I remember that time and I just feel like you guys came into the market and it was just GT on every end cap in every store. Like you completely dominated and came in and I'm sure you were doing a ton of demoing and sampling and just like getting product into people's mouths so that they understood what this new amazing thing was because it was so foreign to everybody. It really was. And in addition to getting it into people's hands and mouths, it was also making sure that every bottle we made was perfect because, and I'm sure you know this, one of the case studies that I did early on when I first started my company was Edwalla. And because Edwalla had the E. coli scare shortly after they expanded their distribution. And that was an indication to me that bigger isn't always better. So that's number one, why it took 10 years to expand nationwide. And number two, even when I did, I wanted to make sure that the quality never suffered. Again, that's something that I still find incredibly important even to this day. Yeah. So could you go into a little bit about 
product process integrity. I am pretty sure that I've read that you still are using the same SCOBY from your parents, which is so cool and that you're still small batching. So it would be great to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, again, I think probably the best way to explain how kombucha is made is, I mean, we always say kombucha is grown. It's not manufactured. And so like a plant that you have a seed that you water and give love and light and nature, it grows, develops, it bears fruit. That fruit is what you obviously eat, but within that fruit is another seed that you can then use to make another plant. And so kombucha is like that. It's self-sustaining. And so the very first culture that, as I shared earlier, I got from my father, that's the same culture that I use to this day. And we treat our culture like a family seed. You know, we treat it as something that's sacred, special, needs to be protected, needs to be honored and never taken for granted. And so that's why, honestly, over the course of the two and a half decades that I've been making kombucha, not much has changed, right? The culture hasn't changed. The size vessel, which is smaller than five gallons, which is sounds that's incredible. Uh, it sounds large on a homemade scale, but is it's like the so size it's like of nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's like a thimble in like the manufacturing world. So we still do that, which is insane. And so you're have, all manufacturing yourself. And we right? do everything ourselves. Yeah. And, you know, that's very challenging, very expensive, creates incredible amounts of roadblocks. But the reason why we do it, it's, it's the only way to do it, in my opinion, is that kombucha is not soda. It's not something that you just manufacture or whip up. It's it's like your crops. It's you, you, It's TLC. It's time Tend, you know, it's tender love and care, or we call time, love and cultures, because that's really what I think living things respond to. And so whether that's our food, whether it's our bodies, it's, I think that's one of the one nutrient that, that should be labeled, I think on labels is, is how much love is in it. Yeah. And, you know, we, that's why we say in our ingredients, hundred percent pure love, because we really do believe it's one of the most important things of, of what we do and, and why we believe it's so special. That's amazing that you've been able to keep that process through 25 years of scaling the business. Hey, it's been a lot of battling. I've, I've had countless conversations with like new operators that come into the company who try to help me scale. And the, almost the first thing out of their mouth is, Hey, so how about like larger batches? And I'm like, like seven oh. gallons. And they're like, no, I'm like, nope, don't even go there. I feel the same way. We put a very small amount of granola in the oven on each pan and every new co-packer is like, well, what about a half a pound more? And we're like, nope, it doesn't work. Yeah. You know your product. Exactly. So in part of that scaling, I'd love to also just talk about the beginning when you self-funded and haven't taken outside investment. Was that intention from day one or that developed over time and kind of any tips that you have around being able to own your company hundred percent? Yeah. I mean, I, I think I was too young to really know the ins and outs of- You didn't the, know what a cap table was. <laughs> no, I didn't know. I didn't, yeah, exactly. I didn't even know what a VC was right. or PE or anything like that. I thought, you know, PE was a class. <laughs> but, you know, I, I had early exposure to direct or indirect circumstances. It slowly started to build my brains of like, oh, I get it. So what it was is it, as you know, when you're starting- your company and creating a brand, there are a lot of opinions. Not all of them are great. And so I would start to notice that there were certain opinions that came from certain minded individuals, typically very business minded, very growth driven, very profit driven, very like, let's 
let's blow up this baby and sell it or go public, right? Which is not a bad thing, but a lot of times I noticed there was a certain psychology that came along with that. And that was, whether they knew it or not, it was, it was a little bit of cutting corners or a little bit of dumbing down. And when I started to identify this common denominator amongst all these conversations, if you will, I was like, you know what? That's why there's only me and only my vision. Not to say that I'm right, all the time at least, but if I'm not right, to be honest, if anybody's gonna screw this up, I want it to be me. I don't want it to be someone else's half-baked idea that was you know, proposing this so I could cut costs or scale faster or whatever. Because in the early years of my company, I mean, we had quite a bit of challenges that really almost killed us. I mean, one was cost, right? Using glass bottles was really, really hard to access at the time because unless you have significant volume, it's hard to get glass bottles back then. And the cost was ridiculous. So one of my first forms of advice was put it in plastic. Couldn't do that. Oh, yeah. And then the last, the other one that I'll give you just to give additional context is, as I said, because kombucha has grown and not manufactured, there was a couple of times throughout my career where we would run out of product. And so then people would come out of the woodwork and be like, hey, hey, just, just add more water. Just like dilute it. You can just, if you add like 30% more water, you can have like 30%. And I was like, what? No, like, come on. Like that's, that's called dumbing it down. That's called watering it down. I mean, none of that is good. (laughs) So that's when I was like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not listening. I'm going to try to filter most of the advice that I get. Number one, number two is it's going to be a long, 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 long time. If ever, where I'll let somebody get in the driver's seat of, of, you know, of this train that I'm trying to drive. That is so awesome. I love it. So as you think about the last 25 years and being in this CEO role for that amount of time, how do you continue to, I don't want to say balance because balance is a word that I think is very tough being in this role, but how do you continue to stay motivated and inspired and continuing to be as passionate today as it sounds like you were in the beginning? Yeah, that's a really good question. Or maybe you're not. So, no, 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 no. You, I mean, you, you got you it. Where? Yeah. I think I think the critical word that you just said is how do I stay inspired? Because, you know, I was inspired that first day when I decided I'm going to make this kombucha. I'm going to create a label. I'm going to bottle it with my bare hands. I'm going to deliver it to a store. And so today, you know, what's really interesting is I'm actually more inspired than ever before. And it's in a weird way. So, I, so again, humor me for a second. It's because honestly, in the last two years, through the pandemic and through a lot of stuff, it's been very obvious that you know we need we all need more love in our lives. We need more happiness. We need more vitality. We need more light. We need more compassion. We need more empathy. And I know you're thinking like, well, okay, that's great, GT, but you make a, a food product. What are you talking about? Well. As I'm sure you know, when, when people are healthy, they're happy. And when they're happy, they're just kinder people. They feel better about themselves. They treat their friend, their neighbor, that stranger better. They smile more often. They're less likely to get angry. And I think that's honestly what I feel that, that we are doing right now is we are bringing food into people's lives that can uplift their body and, and health and wellness for sure. But through that creates almost like a, 
a spiritual awakening, if you will, where they just nine out of 10 times, not always, but more often than not, they become better people. They start making better decisions about other things they eat, other things they do, how they treat people. And I think right now with everything that we're going through, we can't get enough of that. And the fact that I feel that I'm, I'm in a position to participate in that makes me so inspired. And so that's, that's honestly how I stay inspired. That's beautiful. So what keeps you up at night these days? What doesn't keep you up at night? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I think there's a lot that keeps me up I, Does that I, ever I, change after all these years? Or it is does, it, it, no, it okay. Doesn't. Yeah, it, I think it's honestly what drives me and I'm sure drives you and, and most entrepreneurs is, and there's a lot there, but I can probably encapsulate it into one statement is constantly asking myself, and being worried that the answer is not 100% positive of, am I being my best? And, you know, that means a lot. That means am I being the best son, brother, employer, leader, human being? And, you know, sometimes when you get pulled in one direction, you sometimes lose sight or even lose connectivity with another aspect of your life. And so I can be like an A plus in business, but I might be like a B minus as a, as a brother or a son or whatever many roles I, I live in this life. And so it's really always taking inventory of all those different things and trying to see my life holistically. And from a 360 degree standpoint is, am I being my best today? And then I ask myself of all those little categories and Unfortunately, I typically find an answer where it's like, no, <laughs> right. not that you were awful, but you could have been better. And this is how, and that it's taking that inventory and it's finding how I can be better tomorrow. But as you know, perfection isn't a real thing, but the path to perfection is very real. So do you have a process that you go through this exercise or is it something that's just always in your head? Curious if you have, you know, any, well, we can talk about routines, but specifically with this if you write anything down or what do you do? You know what I do? So, I mean, you said the word routine and I think that like is an understatement in my life. I'm very, very routine driven. Okay, great. Uh, I can't wait to get into this. <laughs> very much a creature of habit. But my my routine, if you will, of, of this conversation of like, how am I being my best, you know, happens every night. It's when I, rather before I lie in bed or when I am in bed, I like to meditate before I go to sleep. And through that meditation is almost just like a reflection and intention setting for, you know, reflection of, of what has just transpired and intentions for what's, what's to come. And I, I ask myself all these questions and I almost start to pull clips, if you will, from the day of, all right, this is an example of what was good and how you handled things well, or how you learned from something or how you really rose to the occasion. And then another is like, oh no, you stumbled and fell a little bit. Like, well, let's look at that. And through those conversations, good and bad, comes what I believe is the most important thing in life, which is lessons. Because there are no mistakes in my mind. The only mistakes are those that are the ones that you don't learn from. But if you can constantly learn from your experiences in life, it informs the next day. And so that's kind of my routine is this reflection, this contemplation, this analysis, if you will. And then ultimately comes out with this, just like, okay, so this is how my day tomorrow is going to be informed. Yeah. I love that. So let's get into your routine then starting in the morning. Are you an early riser? Take us through what happens in the morning time. 
And then what your night routine is, if there's something in addition to that reflection period. Yeah. I have two non-negotiables in my life. One is eight hours of sleep. Me too. Totally. Okay. Do you have a whoop or any, or the aura ring? Are you into that? You know, I need it. I gave the aura ring to all my executives last year because I, I heard that there was whispers that you could know of, even if you were getting COVID through the aura ring. I don't know if that was substantiated, but I know it told you like quality of sleep. It told you about all this different stuff. I embarrassingly don't have one, which that's like the shoemakers. The <laughs> shoes. So I don't have those. But what I do is I've learned to be somewhat astute when it comes to assessing the quality of sleep that I'm getting. And there are certain things that I need to do in order to ensure quality of sleep is like starting to disconnect from emails, starting to not stimulate my brain, starting to let go of heavy positive or negative things. And slowly again, and that's why we talked about this meditation, slowly kind of transition into a more peaceful state. What time do you turn off emails and all that stuff? How many hours before bed? About an hour before bed. Yeah. And believe me, it's challenging because- our gadgets are always buzzing and beeping. It's like children crying. So that's, so I definitely make sure that I have a high quality of sleep. But to be honest, what I discovered or even started to experience a couple of years ago was through the enormous amount of stress that I feel that I can go through. Because a lot of times, whether I choose it or not, I have the world on my shoulders. I wasn't getting good quality of sleep. And it was starting, I was getting eight hours per se, but it wasn't eight good hours. So what happened was I went to the doctor. Of course, the doctor's like, take these prescription medicines, your you know, antidepressants. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. I am not a depressed guy. I'm just an ambitious, hardworking guy. <laughs> and so what, what I ended up doing is, which I think comes from how I was raised, is I, just, I explored alternative medicine, natural medicine, plant medicine. And I started to use cannabis. And I use THC. And to this day, for the last five years, I've been doing it, maybe even six now. Or I'll take a, a, a dose of THC before I go to sleep, right before I brush my teeth, I'll take like a little gummy. And by the time my head hits the pillow, all the stresses of the world, all the doubts, all the noises in your head, noises barking in your ear, they all fade away. And I feel reconnected with myself, reconnected with my purpose, reconnected with my soul. And that informs a beautiful and well-rested sleep. And so eight hours, as I said, is my non-negotiable, but that means at any expense and any cost, meaning if I go, I tend to work really late during the week and late can be as early as midnight, as late as two or three in the morning. So that eight hours of sleep is really interesting because that means if I go to sleep at two, I have to get up at 10, which is not business hours. Sure. That's a, a good and bad thing. So I don't want to ramble here, but making sure that I have good rest is critical and then a workout. So my morning routine is basically having a nice way of getting up, not picking up my phone or looking at emails, working, focusing on my breath work, setting my intentions for the day, and then going to work out. And call it those first 10 hours from eight hours of sleep and two hours of waking up in the gym is my private time. And then honestly, the rest of the day is just like full speed ahead. And I think that's why I'm able to do it, to be honest, is I, I think that I get, I give myself such a turbo boost of energy, spiritual and otherwise, that I can just turbocharge throughout the day. Yeah. You've given your body and mind all that time to recover. Exactly. So what is your diet like today? Are you still vegetarian? Yeah. So as I said earlier, I was raised a vegetarian in a very unusual time, because keep in mind, like 
the 80s when I was a kid, like vegetarian was barely even, it was barely even a word, let alone <laughs> vegan plant-based. I'm not going to lie. There was a many, many, many lunches when I was a kid where, you know, I would look beside me and everybody was turkey sandwich and carton of milk and a brownie. And I had like carrots. <laughs> you know, I had all these, like, it looked like bunny food. And, and my friends would make fun of me and say, what are, you know, do you, are, do you, are you a family of rabbits at home or something like that? So it was hard. And, and as I said, for better, for worse, when you're young, you care what people think. And so I was embarrassed of my diet. And at a certain point, my parents allowed me and my brothers to eat whatever we wanted, which we did. But we ultimately came back shortly thereafter to plant-based because it just makes, it's a certain feeling. And so that's how I am today. Like I, I'm not going to say I'm vegan because I mean, vegans, in my mind, the truest sense of vegans, you don't wear leather, you don't eat honey, you know, all of that. I like to say more plant-based where I, I don't eat meat. I'm primarily eating plant-based food, but if I'm like out or I'm at a dinner or a party and God forbid they like, they start birthday cake and it has like an egg in it or a little bit of dairy, I'll have it. Not because like I want the egg or the dairy. It's because I also believe in moderation. I believe in never really depriving yourself or the people you love of an experience. And so like when I'm in that situation, I'll have like a bite of the cake and then I'm good. But to answer your question again, specifically, I, I am plant-based. It's basically all plants, no dairy, eggs, or, or animal products. And, and, and truthfully, it's what also fuels me is that you feel a certain way, which I know you know when you're like this. And it's, it's kind of part of your superpower, right? When you feel great, you're able to, to take on the world. So we're going to switch gears and go into some rapid fire Q&A. Ah, All right. And sometimes it's not so fast because then I'll ask the question, but <laughs> <laughs> what's the best advice that you've received for your business? The best advice that I've received for my business is to don't pay attention to what others think and don't pay attention to what others are doing because you don't want to be like others. You, what really is important and powerful in this world is to pave your own path and do what others aren't doing and to give the world what it needs, not necessarily what it wants, because sometimes need and want are dramatically different and need is more of a long-term solution versus want is somewhat fleeting. So that was the advice that I, I've been given and, and continue to follow to this day. Okay. I do have a follow-up question okay. on that. <laughs> As far as not paying attention to what others are doing, I mean, that must have been such a big shift for you. You introduced kombucha to the world and then all of a sudden competition came in. And how did you really, I mean, I'm assuming with this advice is what your North Star was, but really just saying like, I'm going to stick, stay to my mission and not worry about all this other noise over here. It's true. It gets harder and harder. I mean, especially in this day and age where I think our worlds are kind of melding together, right? Like, before I didn't have to, I think I had more physical options to avoid what other, what someone else was doing. Now it, it almost kind of just pops up, right? Yeah. You're looking at your phone, next thing you know, you see a post, you see a link or someone sharing this. And it's, it's hard because, and I'm sure you agree, like I think one of the qualities of being a founder is we do have this inherent competitiveness. Totally. Right. So it's like when you see someone else doing something like you kind of want to know what it is so you can be better at it. And you and so I wrestle with it and not always am I successful. But to your point, I mean, it, it's it's really understand. It's actually seeing competition as a motivator. 
is like when you see someone else directly in your space or outside of your space. Because I'm actually competitive in a very broad way. Like I, I just want to be making sure that I'm being my best. I don't necessarily need to be better than someone else, but I, I want to make sure that like I'm doing something new and unchartered, so to speak. So whenever I see competition or other stuff from others, is I just look at it and go, okay, they did a great job. To really see it from a unbiased standpoint and just look at it with a fresh set of eyes and then say, all right, well, you know, good for them. And this is what I'm going to do or, or something like that. And it's not, I never want I always try to catch myself and say never, oh, I need to do that. Or I need to do that, but better. Yeah. You know, that's, that creates a world of copycats. But it helps you up your own game for sure. 100%. Or at least I feel yeah. that way. Yeah. No, competition is very, very healthy because it's a complacency killer. Yeah. There's no way. Well, you can be complacent and then you lose. But for those that want to succeed, competition is absolutely a complacency killer. All right. So what is your favorite product of yours? You could only pick one. You can only pick I one. I know they're all your children. You know, uh, I'm going to have to say my favorite product right now is called Alive. And it's our, it's relatively new. It's a, it's a beverage. It's an ancient mushroom elixir. So what happened was similar to kombucha, medicinal mushrooms came into my life almost, I'd say about eight years ago. And they were presented to me as this like really incredible, like unlock to health, vitality, wellness, immunity, cell regeneration, homeostasis, all the things that candidly, I think every health food ultimately stands for. But it's, it's been relatively undiscovered and, and underutilized and underrepresented. And so about a couple of years ago, I developed a live and we essentially take chaga, turkey tail and reishi. And we use these three beautiful medicinal mushrooms at very, very high therapeutic doses. And it, we create this base that we then layer over some flavors and that's what the beverage is. So that's why we call it an elixir because it's far from a refreshment in my sense. I mean, it tastes great, but that's not the primary purpose. It's really to ingest, protect your body, protect your cells. Because in many ways, I think it's the ancient answer to a modern day dilemma, which what I'll describe is there's a lot in the world right now that is kind of attacking our bodies and we don't really see it, whether that's UV, whether that's EMFs, whether that's radiation, all these things. And they, they are slowly compromising our, our cellular strength. And so in my mind, these medicinal mushrooms, these, these adaptogenic mushrooms are creating this force field to help protect our bodies at a time where I think we need it the most. So that's the one I'm most excited about. I, I describe it as kombucha 20 years ago. Oh, I love it. I'm a huge fan of mushrooms. I think everyone Good. should be consuming them. Yes, mushrooms will save the world. For sure. What's something in your health journey that you wish you had figured out earlier? I mean, you would have had to be like eight. <laughs> <laughs> what is in my, I mean, it's hard because, and this is going to sound kind of pretentious, but because, you know, my parents ex exposed me to so much early on, like what the answer I was about to give, to be honest, was meditation. But see, I was exposed to meditation early on in my life. I just didn't start making it a daily practice until later. Okay. So, yeah. You still saw then the effects of a daily practice versus it, you know, yes. haphazardly. Yeah. But 
it's interesting. Like I hope and pray that the youth sooner than later learns how to meditate because I think it will help with mental illness and mental health. But the youth has such active minds that meditation is almost contrary to it. So I sometimes think that it's not super accessible to them, but in many ways, I think that if it can be accessible to them, it could maybe be this huge fix for a lot of problems. Definitely. What are three things that you're currently loving? Could be product, food, podcast, TV show, anything. Okay. So this is going to be too easy and super cheesy to a certain degree. So I, I'll, I'll, I'll consider them as one, even though there's two of them, is I'm uh, a new father. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So I, I have two kids. So Bloom is the first boy, firstborn baby boy who was born April 29th. And then Rain was born July 21st. And so this last weekend was like just baby, baby, baby time. Oh my God. And so I'm, I'm in love with not just being a father, but how that experience really opens your eyes to other areas of family and family connection and all of that. So I'm absolutely obsessed with that and feel so blessed to be able to experience it. Second thing is I have a strong, strong love for the island of Kauai, Hawaii. So Kauai is the um, oldest island. It's the most Northern island. And it's where for the last 10 years, I've spent a lot of time to the point where I actually have property on the island. And I use it as my temple, my church, my ashram. Even if I go there for like three days, which keep in mind, it's a six hour flight. So it's three days, a little crazy, but it's still enough for me because it's such a spiritual reawakening and recharge and cleansing and resetting that it, I feel like my soul is brand new when I come back from Kauai. And then the third thing is, is still my business. And I know that sounds like such a like cheap answer, but I'd say it, the same thing. Yeah. Cause it's, you know, it's so interesting. The reason why I think I'm in more in love with my business than ever before is I think now being a father, the contrast between call it my personal parenting versus my professional parenting, which when you're a, and a, a company owner, it's almost like you're married with like, you know, hundreds of kids. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, I see the relationship, the similarity yet the contrast in it. And now that I'm, I see my kids and I'm like, I want to make sure I raise them to be incredible human beings at the same time. I'm like, but I also need to make sure that I don't overlook my firstborn, which was technically my business. And to make sure that that continues to be a legacy. So I'm, I'm like re-engaged and, and re-motivated, if, if, if you will, there, and I'm, and I'm loving it. That's awesome. What do you want more of in your life? I want more love and not necessarily romantic love, of course, but as I, as I was saying earlier, I think right now, lately, the world feels sometimes very divided, very angry, very confused, very scared. And I think when you feel loved and feel love around you, it creates this peace and this calm and this confidence that I think really informs your behavior of how you treat yourself and how you treat others. And candidly, love, there's no limit of what you can get from it. And so even though I do feel I have a lot of love in my life, I could certainly use more. Bring on more. That's right. What do you want less of in your life? less stress, but that's like the easy answer. But when you think about it, stress is what motivates me. 
So it's like, do I really want to take that away? So I, I guess what I want less of is, um, you know, what? honestly, less opposite of love, less hatred, less judgment, less cancel culture, less finger pointing and all that stuff. I think that's what we all need less of. Yeah, absolutely. What is a meal that is one of your most memorable meals that you'll never forget? It's, it's going to be a weird answer, but it was being three years old and being in India with my parents and staying at an ashram and eating Indian food with probably hundreds of Indians and these almost like ashram devotees, if you will. And we're all wearing like white linen and we're all sitting in this giant space and we're eating this Indian food and we're eating, we're all eating it with our hands. And again, like being three years old, you were just, were taught how to eat with utensils. So it was like, Like, this is amazing. Yeah. And be like, wait, these are all adults and we can eat with our foods. And it felt like wrong, but fun. Cause you really, when you hold food with your hands and put it in your mouth, it is so primal. And I, I just remember that as being a confusing yet very exciting experience. What is your favorite GT moment over the last 25 years? My favorite GT moment. Ah, that's a hard one. There's so many. I mean, I guess the one that I really enjoyed and it's a weird one, so forgive me, is as you probably know, a couple years ago in 2019, I was included in a Forbes article and it was like this moment in my life because I was being, there was a lot of noise around to be honest. So there was this conversation that like I was gonna get the, the cover and all this stuff and you know, it's Forbes magazine. So just the fact that my phone rang and someone on the other line from Forbes was there was pretty epic. <laughs> But it, it, to be honest, it quickly went south. And this is not my favorite part. Okay. So it went south because the written article and the video that they created just didn't work. And for you and others listening, I encourage you to go watch it because it's bizarre. But let just, I want you to know that I know it's bizarre. <laughs> but it, it, that's the only way I can summarize it. But here's my favorite part. What happened was because it was such an unusual circumstance, this YouTuber named Cody Ko, who I'm now friends with, ironically, did a spoof on the video. And I think most people would have been scared of the humor and call it roasting that was going on. But I think one of the things that I'm really proud of in my life or one of the many things is I have really well-developed sense of humor. Like I love to laugh and I love certainly to laugh at myself. And so with this, him and I, Cody Co and I connected and we, I, I ended up leaning into the joke and we created this kind of follow-up video to the spoof which was another spoof and it, <laughs> it took off. And like, I think it today it has like 10 million views. Oh my God, and, I have to watch it. <laughs> you have to see it because it, it's in my mind. And the reason why I say it's one of my favorite moments is it because it, listen, it's happened countless times since then. Whenever I find myself in a challenging moment, I have to ask myself, you know what? Have fun with this. Like, don't let it consume you. See the bright side, see how you can turn it around. And that is a very tangible example of how I was able to do it and how people responded to it and how it ended up working. So I use that as in many ways as kind of like a case study of like, hey, don't take your shit too, too seriously. That's such a good lesson. Oh, I can't wait to watch you after this. 
So the last question in our rapid fire, what is your number one non-negotiable to thrive on your wellness journey? Oh, it's the eight hours of sleep. I'm learning that, and again, not to be redundant, is that I knew for, for the reasons I shared earlier about the importance of sleep, but when you see babies sleeping and you see that honestly what they need to grow and thrive is food and sleep high quality food, high quality sleep. It is a reminder that sleep is so incredibly undervalued, underestimated, um, not sp talked about enough because, you know, there's, I think there's some people in, in this world right now that brag of like, oh, I only need two hours of sleep. Or I only need four hours of sleep. And that's supposed to be cool. I want the conversation to be the opposite of like, oh, I'm sleeping 12 hours a night for the next three nights, almost like a, a fast, right? You're doing like a sleep fast where you're really going deep into the sleep. So that's my non-negotiable because it never, ever, ever fails that when I'm not at my best, it's because I'm not getting good sleep. And when I'm all absolutely at my best is when I have high quality of sleep. I couldn't agree with you more. I'm such an advocate for sleep and feel like we are just on the cusp of that conversation, like really coming to the forefront of historically sleep had a bad PR agent who was saying to your point, like, yeah, just have two hours of sleep. And I, I don't need more than that. So excited to see where that takes us in the world, but me too. In closing, what is next for you? Anything that we should know about? Yeah, well, there's a couple of things up my sleeve. I mean, first and foremost, I want to continue to be a steward of nature, a pioneer of innovation, and really someone that takes chances in creating things that I hope and pray the world can benefit from spiritually and certainly physically. And so, you know, I think in the next year, we're going to come out with some really interesting products that hopefully will honor what I just said. And that is my mission, right? I'm, I'm just here to provide things that I think the world needs. And, and hopefully I do, I do a good job at it. Oh, I can't wait to see what you have up your sleeve. I can't wait to share. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. You are truly such an inspiration. You're my personal hero, and I hope I can be where you are at this stage in the business. So thank you again for coming on. It's my pleasure. And likewise, I have much love and respect for you. So thank you for having me on. Thanks so much for joining me on Live Purely with Elizabeth. I hope you feel inspired to thrive on your wellness journey. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review. You can follow us on Instagram at purely underscore Elizabeth to catch up on all the latest. See you next Wednesday on the podcast.